What's up, everybody? If you want to follow and support the show, you can head over to truthzilla.org for everything Truthzilla. At the top of the page, you will see a support the show tab for various different ways to help keep the show afloat, bringing you awesome content. Also, while you're at truthzilla.org, make sure you check out the shirt shop. We have some of the best t-shirts and sweatshirts in the business, or you can head over to truthzilla.org forward slash shirts. Also, make sure you're subscribed to us on your favorite podcast player, you know, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast so that you can listen on the go. We also do a weekly premium show called the Clown Town Update, where we dissect the insane clownish news of the week. You can find that exclusively at rockfin.com forward slash truthzilla. That's R-O-K-F-I-N. Rockfin is where we planted our flag, and that's where you can get the full Truthzilla experience. We also want to shout out our partners over at Truth TRS, who offer a heavy metal detox spray, which flushes all of the heavy metals and environmental toxins that have accumulated in your body out of your body. We all use it here. It's a great product. It works amazing. So go visit truthtrs.com to learn more and start your heavy metal detox journey today. Thank you and back to the show. Welcome to another episode of Truthzilla. My name is Scott. I'm here with my good friend Ed. Unfortunately, Megan couldn't make it again tonight, guys, but we are sitting here with a friend, Ingrid L. Edstrom, who's a nationally certified family nurse practitioner, uh, president of Proactive Breast Wellness, LLC, and Infrared Breast Health, LLC. She's an author, author of the book, Protect Your Breasts, and has established four medical business ventures, and you can find out more at protectyourbreasts.com. And we are here to discuss some very exciting things. So so in addition to Ingrid being a you know fellow Freedom Fighter, who has illuminated us about a lot of these uh, aspects with the pandemic, um, but she also has a cure for cancer that she's here to tell us about. So, without further ado, Ingrid, thank you. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me, guys. This is really delightful to be able to um, talk a little bit about cryoablation thermography, and then we can maybe break into, you know, the craziness that I'm seeing in my practice for the pandemic. Totally cases which are they're totally making up so i'm i'm delighted to help and i'm working with uh two attorneys now who are trying to sue the governor beautiful so wow. um i guess i'm politically incorrect but i'm in the trenches with the uh freedom fighters and uh what i refer to is the paul revere riders so now we can all wear uh tri-corner paul revere yes. hats and, and just in case we're worried about 5g i can put <laughs> aluminum foil on them <laughs> And then I can stand down at the courthouse yelling, to arms, to arms, the Baxters are coming. And they'll just say, oh, that poor senior citizen, you know, she really must have some sort of psychiatric problem and she probably needs meds. Ooh. So I haven't gone down with my hat on, but it's a great undercover thing for a 70-year-old woman who's getting really upset. Man, I love that. That's <laughs> yeah, so definitely. cool. Yeah, we're well, all upset with you, for sure. Absolutely. Well, not upset with you. But we're, we're along with you, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. And, and, you know, I'm really grateful today that we have, like, platforms that support free speech that we're able to put this out on. Because if there's two things in the world that the establishment probably would crack down more than anything, it's talking about exposing the pandemic and cures for cancer. Yeah, <laughs> so, 100%. Oh yeah, I was immediately <laughs> thinking of uh, the, the parallels with what's going on with, with yeah. what you're offering. And yep. I mean, look at, we have hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and yeah. uh, budesonide and all these treatments that are uh, proven to work. And 
the establishment is suppressing it. Yep. And, and so, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, I would wanted to get into also, um, you know, because you've been doing this for a while. And uh, well, well, before we get there, what we're going to do is we're going to depart from the typical show format a little bit. So everyone that's watching and listening here. So we actually so Ingrid actually has like a very well put together presentation that kind of breaks down a lot of this stuff using visuals. So what we're going to do is we're going to run that. It's about 20 minutes. We're going to run that and then we're going to come back and we're going to get into some questions. So let's just go ahead and do that. And then we're going to be right back with you guys on the other side. My name is Ingrid Edstrom. I'm a family nurse practitioner of just about 40 years now, beginning to date myself here a little bit. And I also have a master's in health education and I'm a thermography technician. So I want to say that I'm the owner and clinician at my two business ventures, Infrared Breast Health and the Proactive Breast Wellness Program, again in Eugene, Oregon. The information in this presentation encompasses my research, clinical practice, and professional opinions. For HIPAA compliance, all the patients whose infrared images are being shared with you today in this presentation have signed releases. The facts are, in the U.S., as other places, breast cancer is an epidemic. In the U.S., one out of eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer during their lifetime, which is estimated to rise to one in five in the next 10 years because the environment is getting so dirty. One in 39 women will die from breast cancer. 70% of all breast cancer diagnoses are less than two centimeters. Breast cancer is the leading cause of cancer deaths among women aged 40 to 50 years of age. Breast cancer is second only to lung cancer and cancer deaths among women, but what we really fear is breast cancer. So do you know, this is the good news, only seven to nine percent of breast cancers occur because of inherited genetic traits. So that means that 91 to 93 percent of your risk is related to the environment, dietary, hormone balancing, stress management, thyroid and vitamin D and lifestyle choices. So this is really empowering. So what are your breast health options here? Women need to know that they should be doing to reduce their risk of breast cancer or its reoccurrence if they've had breast cancer in the past. So now let's consider thermography, the protect your breast protocol, and cryoablation. So you know that it's 100% safe, no radiation or radio waves coming at you. I have two high-end military infrared cameras that are FDA approved and cleared. I have one FLIR and I also have a Spectron IR. It's completely painless. It detects inflammatory changes three to eight years before the mammograms uh, will see it. So it generally is able to find things about three millimeters in size for the high-end cameras. It may also identify skin abnormalities, melanomas, subclinical hypothyroidism, thyroid tumors, and failed root canals. So who needs thermography? Cancer survivors, pregnant nursing types, high-risk lifestyle, people on birth control pills or synthetic hormone use, dense breasts, large breasts, small breasts, fibrocystic breasts, which is a third of the population, the prevention conscious, uh, people that have had toxic exposure to herbicides and pesticides, family history that's positive that they're now worried, or people with breast implants and reduction surgery. So thermography is rated on a TH1 to TH5 grading scale. There's a number of points, the more points, the higher the number. So uh, it's a TH1 and TH2s are normal. 
TH2s may indicate dense fibrocystic breasts with hormonal influences or estrogen dominance. TH3 is borderline or equivocal. These are the ones I'm most interested in because I can usually shift them back about 65% of the time in 6 to 12 months on the proactive breast wellness protocol. Uh, TH4 is abnormal and TH5 is very abnormal, so those will have the highest number of points. So the diagram shown here are changes in the cell structure and cellular activity. So when there are more cells producing heat, the infrared temperatures are higher. So breast cancers are actually very slow moving. They take 10 to 12 years to grow to the point where there can be a palpable mass or they can be seen on mammograms. And generally, I can feel a lot of the small ones at about 3 millimeters, 3 millimeters, 4 millimeters. And it's really very helpful with the thermography because you can see a little heat signature there and then you can poke around and see if you can feel something which then makes it easier for me to um, help to organize uh, orders for ultrasounds and mammograms and MRIs and biopsies. So the infrared images can detect this temperature change prior to lump formation while there's still time to uh, alter the inflammatory process. So infrared is considered the best risk detection tool available to modern medicine, which is really fabulous. So on the, the drawings on the bottom here, this is a normal milk duct cut in half. This is interductal hyperplasia with little extra cells. Hyperplasia with atypia, so a few little extra cells here. These are taking oxygen and nutrition from the capillary bed, and these are the ones I'm most interested to try to get them moving the other direction. If these little abnormal cells keep going and going, you have DCIS or ductal carcinoma in situ. If it keeps going some more, you have invasive ductal carcinoma where it's broken through the membrane. <clears throat> these abnormal cells are releasing nitric oxide, which opens up the blood vessels to feed the um, tumor and it's called neoangiogenesis. Here's a nice article from the American Journal of Surgery in 2008, and it shows that 58 of the 60 tumors were picked up with a 97% sensitivity, and MRIs are about 98% sensitive. So when I first got the camera, I was trying to figure out why it was that some people had normal scans and other people had cancers. This woman has an invasive ductal that's sitting over in here. So I started asking a lot of questions because I was a little confused as to why it was that people came in looking totally different. So what I discovered is the people that seemed to have the best scans had a healthy lifestyle. They were having an organic diet. They were on a supplement program. Um, they had optimized vitamin D levels. If they were hypothyroid, they got thyroid support or thyroid replacement. Their hormones were balanced. They didn't have a lot of herbicide pesticide. They were thin. They were exercising. So I thought, well, if I could figure out <clears throat> what's happening over here so that the people that were getting cancer, which were the herbicide pesticide crew, the non-organic diet, imbalanced hormones, sedentary lifestyle, every last woman over here that had cancer that I was picking up that were biopsy proven later um, were also vitamin D deficient and hypothyroid, and those are things that we can sort of fix. So I thought that if I could figure out what these people were doing right and try to educate the people sort of in the middle so I could maybe try to turn it around so people didn't end up over on this side, this is how the preventative uh, reduce your risk of breast cancer proactive program came to be. So here's a nice TH1 cold scan. It's done on a Celsius scale with the um, better cameras that also have a gray inverted palette. So dark blue is cold, light blue is warmer, greens, yellows, and oranges. So this is cold, nicely balanced, light and fluffy. So here is a picture of a woman that's six months pregnant and the gals that are nursing also look very similar to this. So you can see this vascular activity in the lower breast scan due to the increased levels of hormones while she was pregnant or nursing. So you can see all this 
activity here. So the issue is if you're 54 and on too much Premarin with a tumor developing here with blood flow leading to it, that is not going to bode well. But for the pregnant nursing gals, this is what you're supposed to look like. Here's a nice normal TH2 scan. Again, she has these beautiful chromatic stair steps. So dark blue is cold, light blue is warmer, greens, yellows, and oranges. She has some muscle spasm up in here, so she needs an acupuncturist or a massage therapist. Um, you can see that she's sort of light and wispy over here. This is what we aspire to be. This next woman I put in front of the camera and say, Madam, you're not an organic eater, are you? And she says, how can you tell that? And I said, well, you don't look like this. So since this is an organic eating vegan, she looks great. No bovine growth hormones in meat and dairy. She's wearing organic cotton. She's not spraying Roundup all over her picnic tables. And this is the typical American diet with drive through McDonald's. Uh, bovine growth hormones in meat and dairy, too much Premarin, too much estradiol, and not enough progesterone to balance it out. Uh, too many xenoestrogens or estrogen mimickers or body burden in her environment. Excessive plant estrogens are driving this vascularity up in here. So it increases the vessels and they sort of look like bowls of spaghetti. So the problem with the bowls of spaghetti gals, if you have a tumor developing here or a tumor developing there, you have the potential for um, tumor doubling. Whereas this gal has a 95% chance of never ever getting breast cancer. So here's another one that has a um, invasive ductal here on the left. It was undetected by several mammograms before she came to see me. So note the blood flow or neoangiogenesis that's coming down from the anterior chest, coming from the lateral area, and coming from up underneath to feed this. It's over here. She's also been doing some lifting. She has this tumor that's sitting here at 12. I ordered an ultrasound, sent her off to a surgeon. She was biopsy proven, and she has really dense breasts, and this was actually her first thermography visit. This gal has a TH5, severely abnormal thermography, again, a first-time infrared. So she has an invasive ductal on the left. It was undetected by several mammograms and ultrasounds in the uh, recent past. The tumor is sitting over in here, so I ordered a biopsy, and it's a 5-millimeter palpable area, which was positive. And then you can notice the blood flow leading across to this area. The other thing is that she has a 2.5 degree nipple delta difference. So I always say that thermography is adjunctive, it's not instead of uh, other sorts of imaging, but it certainly does look into the future and I <laughs> absolutely love my infrared camera. This woman lives on a mint farm and you can see that she has a TH5 up in here and this whole breast is warmer than this opposite side. She has these big gnarly vessels. So um, with mint and several of the other crops, they tend to aerial spray in between the crops. So it's actually her father-in-law has prostate cancer. The brother has non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, I also have a, a group of women that are equestrians and they have horses and they're using pesticide fly wipe and they're patting the horse, grooming the horse, and you get these large quadrant vessels from these gals because it's absorbing through their skin. And then I have a whole group of people that are aerial sprayed that live next to clear cuts or live up valley in the Willamette Valley where there's a lot of agriculture and they're coming across with crop dusters or on the back end of tractors. So consider the impact of your environment, your diet, lifestyle choices, hormone balancing, exercise, stress management. And later in the program, I'll talk a little bit about how you can protect your breasts with a proactive breast wellness program. So now I'd like to introduce you to the exciting world of cryoablation to see through the lens of an infrared ca camera and cryoblation is the future of breast cancer care. And I also have to say that I was previously a sales agent for both Sonaris and for IceCure 
for the Pacific Northwest region. So um, I've been involved in the cryoablation area since 2010 now, so I'm very excited about cryoablation. I'm now also a cryoablation nurse practitioner navigator. So cryoablation, the process, it ex uses extremely cold temperatures to produce targeted tissue necrosis or death of cancer cells. The necrotic tissue is resolved over time by the body and replaced with healthy tissue. Most common uses of cryoablation is kidney, liver, lung, bone, cervix, prostate, and now breast. Hallelujah. The advantages of cryoablation. So it has actually been shown to be more effective than traditional surgical excision, which is very exciting. So it has 100% complete tumor ablation within the ablation zone. It has a quick turnaround, a 30 to 35 minute, maybe 45 minute uh, procedure. It can be done with an ultrasound in the office, which is ultrasound guided, so it doesn't cost a lot to add this to your um, office setup. It's minimally invasive. It conserves the breast shape. It's shown to not adversely affect mammograms or ultrasound interpretations in future, which is great. And you can also follow these gals with thermography, which is the perfect marriage, of course. Excellent cosmetics. One three millimeter incision, regardless of the tumor size, it only requires a little bit of local anesthesia. The patient is awake during the procedure. It's only one day recovery time. The ideal cryoablation candidate, the lesion must be visible on ultrasound. A DCIS study is now pending where we might be able to freeze some of these gals if they've had a biopsy and have left a chip in, so we might be able to just freeze the chip in that region and um, evaluate it that way, which I think is part of what I was sort of thinking about with this early freeze protocol that I came up with. Um, the lesions must be less than four centimeters in diameter, and most of the uh, physicians would prefer to have it less than 1.5. The diagnosis must be confirmed by a needle biopsy. They would like to see three to five millimeters of space between the lesion and the surface of the breast, but if it's a little bit close, sometimes they can float some normal saline in there. So patients who are not good candidates for surgery or have anxiety about surgery or have general anesthesia problems or they're elderly or maybe they have dementia. The patients are also concerned about uh, cosmetics or having surgery uh, on their breast. So cryoablation is FDA approved and we now have some reimbursement codes, which is 19105, 19499, and a new code that came out in January of 2020, which is 0581T. So here's cryotherapy, the procedure. So this is the office ultrasound with a gloved hand. You can see where you're going. You put a little local anesthesia in. You take a little surgical blade, me to make a little nick here. Uh, insert the probe. It has a blue button for freeze, a red button for stop. Push the blue button. You have an ice, uh, ice ball forming with the liquid nitrogen that's coming down the probe. You freeze the area one centimeter all the way around, then you put a nice warm pack on. You freeze it a second time, another hot pack, and then the lady goes out to lunch uh, 45 minutes later or so, and you put a little dressing on, and off they go, and you've cured her breast cancer. Breast cryoablation, I think, is the new future in breast cancer treatment without surgery, and I now want to talk to you about my early freeze protocol. So I presented my infrared slides that I'm about to show you folks, um, of a woman named Mary, pre and post cryoablation. These are the very first thermography images ever done with any cryotherapy patients ever. This is the perfect marriage of thermography and cryoablation. 
So Laura Ross Paul and I were invited by the Chinese government to present my slides in the early freeze protocol on July 2nd, 2016 at the 5th International Forum on Cancer, Cryotherapy and Immunotherapy at the Fuda Hospital in the city of Gangzhou, which is formerly Canton, China, to over 200 physicians and international researchers. And our presentation was called the Early Freeze Protocol. And if you want to watch the full protocol, I have this Early Freeze Protocol on my um, website <clears throat> as a video. So here is Mary, three months uh, pre-cryoablation. So you can see this red area here. The tumor is sitting over in this section with blood flow leading up to it. It's over here as well. So she has an infiltrating ductal stage 2 carcinoma, 2 centimeters by 2 centimeters in her left breast. And there was also some dimpling that was happening over this when I first saw her. She also has a 2 degree Celsius shift over the mass and blood flow leading to this tumor and um, the vessels that are leading up to it. So then she said, well, this is great. Now I'm going to go off and have my breast cancer frozen. So this is the first time I'd ever heard about this. And she went off to see Peter Littrip in Detroit. So then Mary reappeared eight months post cryoblation. And the pointers here are designating this big, soft, mushy mass, which is now 4 centimeters by 6.5 centimeters. But there's no thermal activity in here. And there's no blood flow leading to it, which is really amazing. So. Um, this I thought was absolutely fabulous that it's cold there's no blood flow and the spongy mass so this is sort of the ice ball where it was and um, some of the people think that this is maybe where the uh, immune effect is also happening because your white cells and cytokines go out to try to eat up these dead cells that are in this area. Then Mary reappeared at two years post cryoablation so the area that we had seen before, which was 4 by 6.5 centimeters, it's now down to 1.5 centimeters of cold, dead scar tissue. It just shrunk way down. So it's just this little bitty bit of scar tissue, cold and hurt, really amazing. So um, since Dr. Littrop was the physician that saw Mary, he also told me that the spongy mass will actually shrink about 80% in size, leaving this little bit of scar tissue. Mary is also following my proactive breast wellness program. And again, the scar tissue is sitting in here, which is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. So here's the MRI halo. And the contrast is lighting up here so you can see an active cancer. Um, the other MRI over here is where the ice ball is. And you can see that there is no activity at all in here. And the cancer is dead. So instead of racing for the cure, let's talk now about prevention as the cure and how my proactive breast wellness program over the last 16 years has helped literally thousands of women in the Pacific Northwest. So here is a, um, a couple images of a woman before the proactive breast wellness program, which is on the top. So this gal is not eating organically. She's eating her typical drive through McDonald's. Um, she's on too much estradiol in her hormone replacement, not enough progesterone. She was having a host of menopausal symptoms, including insomnia when I first saw her. So you can see these big open vessels that look sort of like she's been attacked by a bear and all these spotty things all underneath on this side. This is the same woman a year and a half later uh, on my protocol. So her menopausal symptoms have all cleared up. This is also heart healthy for the proactive breast wellness program. So you can see all these big open vessels here and now they're just little wispy things. This is totally cleaned up down here. She used to have a 300 cholesterol up on this set. 
A year and a half later, she's now a 200 cholesterol. Her good cholesterol, or HDL, has improved. Her LDL has dropped 30 points. She's no longer borderline hypothyroid, and her vitamin D levels are optimal, so she's now rarely getting colds. So I really love to be able to see women that you know, start off like this, and you probably see a lot of women like this in your infrared clinics, but you know, on the protocol within you know, six months, a year, 18 months, you can really make quite a difference on how you can clean these folks up. So as you can see, the improvement has been really fabulous for the proactive breast wellness program on thermography images. So now what we'll do is talk a little bit about what the protocol actually includes. So here is a um, chapter plan of my book, anti-estrogenic diet, supplements, acid alkaline diet, power progesterone, hormone balancing, environmental toxins, breast care, diagnostic imaging, and then a brand new chapter on cryoablation, putting it all together with worksheets. It also includes the Waves of Serenity relaxation program that I did while I was studying at the Mind Body Medical Institute under Dr. Benson. So here are some of the things, gals, that you can do. You can start eating organically, change your diet to an all-organic one, organic fruits and veggies, avoid GMOs by eating organically, which would be great. Avoid flax, hops, soy, soy milk, soy protein, soy energy bars. Miso and tempeh is actually okay. And the other thing I've discovered is that hemp seeds, marijuana, CBD products, I think are all estrogenic and are making the uh, vascular patterns worse. So I'm now suggesting people avoid that. We now have um, legalized marijuana down here and I'm now seeing big changes in infrared scans because of that. The other thing that you gals can do is exercise. Women who are exercising at least a half an hour a day for five days a week actually reduce their breast cancer risk by 65%. That's huge. So get out there and walk or do something. Uh, limit alcohol to less than two glasses of uh, alcohol a day. If you do more than that, your liver can't get rid of the excess estrogens and the estrogens keep going round and round. And remember that hops is not so good for beer. Stress management, meditation, power of prayer, reduce your stress and cortisol levels. And this is why I added the waves of serenity to this. And also, don't forget sleep. Lots and lots of great sleep, seven to eight hours. So if you have disturbed sleep and having hot flashes and whatnot, work with your provider that may need to help you with either exercise, hormone balancing, or magnesium is a great thing to help to um, reduce hot flashes and also um, uh, cramps in the middle of the night. Also get these labs done. Check your vitamin D levels. 83% of all cancers can be eliminated if your vitamin D is optimal. The goal here is to get to be 70 to 75 on a 32 to 80 scale or 80 to 90 on a 30 to 100 scale. So this is really important. Um, all the women that with breast cancer are vitamin D deficient and also hypothyroid. And I'm uh, in Oregon, the folks in Canada are even higher on the globe, so you really need to check and get your vitamin Ds optimized. Check your thyroid panels, TSH, free T3, free T4, and um, if you're hypothyroid, get it optimized as well. Check your hormones, consider progesterone to balance out your estrogen dominance, or just get hormone testing to see what's going on because you may have an estrogen body burden with estrogen mimickers in your environment and the thermography camera can help you uh, see that. So what can you do? So here's my new fancy book and also ebook. It comes with an extra thousand pages of medically indexed materials to go with it for free and my Waves of Serenity relaxation program. 
So this gets me to my end slide, and you folks can contact me if you'd like. All right, welcome back, everybody. So we're sitting here now with Ingrid, and we've got some questions. So um, I think before we do that, let's take it back a little bit. And I know probably uh, one of the questions I have initially is, you know, I would love to get into kind of the uh, – just, you know, what we're seeing with the COVID thing, you know, the suppressed treatments. And, you know, as, as a big part of my awakening for this is just learning about, you know, how, you know, these, these cancer drugs have been suppressed, like over time, like I, I was uh, doing some research into, uh, uh, oh, Latril, like Latril, um, you know, like apricot seed juice, you know, apparently is like a big uh, thing in the cancer cure movement and you have to like go to like Mexico to get treated for it. So it's just like, I, I did a little bit of deep dive into that. And it's just like, it's just so pathetic how the government really does. It's, I mean, it's just, they, it's just across the board, whether we're talking COVID, whether we're talking, it's, it's AIDS, no surprise, whether we're talking, you know, whatever it is, like, it's so diabolical that they suppress actual effective treatments in exchange for big pharma products. So, um, what has been your experience being in the field, like trying to de navigate that? Um, well, let's see. Did you want to go into the COVID thing or a little bit more? I'm about not, maybe just cancer specifically. Cancer work. specifically. Have you had any experience like buttoned up against the establishment or, or the bad guys in terms of? I guess I would kind of direct that question as this, this treatment you're offering, the cryoablation. Yeah. I, hopefully I didn't say that incorrectly. But uh, but um, are, as you're offering, I mean, I've never heard of it until until you until I saw your presentation, and it's obviously is the mainstream fighting back against this treatment because you know there's a lot more money in in their way of doing things. Sure. No. Um, well, essentially, cryoablation has been used for 40 years. We've been freezing cervixes for 40 years for cervical cancer, and that's really standard of care. So uh, the cryoablation for breasts. Um, started actually in 2003, and um, in the presentation, you know, I know the first folks that ever had their breast cancers frozen, which was Laura Ross Paul, and then um, she was uh, cryoblated by Peter Littrip. So I've now become friends with all these, you know, wild and zany people. And then Laura and I, for the the, um, the slides that were shown in the presentation, we were invited by the Chinese government to present our uh, slides of thermography and cryoablation in uh, 2016 to 200 international researchers for the fifth international <clears throat> cryoablation conference. So to me, this is sort of the future of breast cancer care because you can take uh, a little bit of Novocaine, the woman's wide awake. Um, you, you just inject a little bit of the Novocaine into the skin, take a little teeny surgical blade, three millimeter nick, and then just insert this uh, probe, the cryoprobe, by watching through um, ultrasound into the center of the tumor. There's a blue button for freeze, a red button for stop, push the blue button, liquid nitrogen slides down the probe and you get this lovely ice ball that occurs. And then you um, shut it off, put a hot pack on, freeze it a second time, second hot pack. 45 minutes later, the lady gets to go out to have lunch and take maybe two Tylenol. So it's 92 to 100% wow. effective in less than 1.5 centimeters. And um, that runs circles around what they have now for lumpectomies and whatnot. So the, the short question is, it's, it's been around for a long time. They've been using it for lungs, liver, pancreases, and um, prostates. But the breast um, sort of treatment, I, I think it's essentially the future of breast cancer care. But the, the issue is, is that the surgeons 
are pushing back because they like their little amounts mm -hmm. for what their standard yeah. of care happens to be. So a couple of years ago, I had um, seen a, a delightful lady who popped in who was an organic farmer, lived off the grid, was picking enough organic carrots to come see me for a thermography scan. And when I got her in front of the camera, I knew that this was going to be trouble because the blood flow and I needed to work her, work her up. So she said, well, how much is this going to cost me for her breast cancer treatment? And I said, well, I don't know, but I'll, I'll find out. So I started making some phone calls. So I called up my local breast surgeon. I called the anesthesiology department, the radiology department, the uh, day surgery. And I was just, they said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, let's just use this code for a simple mastectomy. Give me some costs. So, you know, I'm here in Eugene, so I'm not in a huge, you know, uh, <laughs> metropolis. So in a little backwater like Eugene, uh, a simple mastectomy, by the time you get the pathology, the radiology folks, the biopsies, the surgeon, the day of surgery, the post-operative, the um, recovery room, and the, the uh the uh, monies that you pay for a simple mastectomy, it comes to about 55,000 to 57,500. Now, if this poor woman who's picking carrots, who has no insurance and lives off the grid, gets tangled up with um, medical oncology or radiation oncology, it's another 55,000 or so on top of it. So you're looking about 120, $130,000 for one breast cancer case. Whereas you can have this done in an office with cryoablation and go out to lunch and happily chat with the surgeon or the radiologist that's doing it. And depending on which um, clinic you go to, it's running about 7,005 or 7,008 if it's one probe. And, you know, the lady goes out to lunch and she has a better outcome at 92 to 100% effective and less than 1.5 centimeters. So this to me is a total no brainer. But the issue is, is I, I called up um, one of my surgical friends and I said, hey, you know, I have this great equipment. Uh, would you like to get this equipment and use it here in Eugene? And he said, oh, he said, he and his wife have just bought a vineyard and they um, need to spend some of their extra money to buy oak cast for their Chardonnay. And I thought, well, that's nice. Oak cast, Chardonnay, breast cancer treatment. And he said, well, you know, my, my wife would have my head. And I thought, well, that's not going to work. So I came back a little later. And by then I had become a um, sales rep for, uh, I, well, I'm, I had been a sales rep rep for both Sonaris and Ice Cure. So I had rep the two main companies internationally that make this equipment. So I came back to this fellow and I said, uh, hey doc, you know, I have these loaner equipment and I could uh, probably fill your waiting room and all you have to do is freeze 10 lumps a month, you know, and they could be fibroadenomas or breast cancers. And I'll give you this loaner equipment so you can just try it out. And his response was, if I did that, they'd be on me like a pack of dogs. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, oh, my goodness. So the pack of dogs, you know, thing didn't kind of, you know, hook together until I saw this nice lady that was picking carrots to come see me with no health insurance. So then I realized that him doing something on his own with cryoblation and all the other surgeons here in Eugene, you know, liking their 55,000 or going up to 120, depending on if medical or surgical oncology gets involved, then suddenly the pack of dogs really made sense. So the, the main pushback, I think, is by the people that just like the status quo. So that's why I'm so excited to talk about cryoablation. And I'm now the um, first national cryoablation nurse practitioner navigator. So people find me from all over the country on my website. And then they send me their uh, biopsy reports and their ultrasound reports. And I can try to figure out what type of cancer they have, where it's located in the breast, what the biopsy report happens to be. 
and the size of it, um, any lymph nodes or involvement. So what I try to do is sort of screen the case. And then depending on what part of the country the woman is, I try to get her to a cryoablation clinic that can you know, freeze her breast cancer. So what I'm trying to do is save time for the surgeons and the radiologists that have the equipment and then try to find out if this is really going to be a good technology for this woman or not. But since I've been doing it for 10 years and was a sales rep for both companies, I know a lot about the cryoablation. So to me, this is where we, we should be going. And I'm hoping that any of your listeners that have a problem and would like to have a second opinion or you know, consider it, they can get a hold of me through the um, contact at Proactive Breast Wellness that you'll have on the yep. website at the end so they can awesome. down. And so are there a lot of clinics in the country that, that people can, can go to? Is this a, a regular uh, thing that people can get done? Or do, do, like someone in Eugene, is there a clinic that we someone could go to? Well, no. So there's one clinic in the state right now, which is in Portland. And um, I waited two and a half years for them to get this equipment. But then there it's become a little bit political for the folks. So I know the breast lady breast surgeon quite well. And um, what she's doing is she's having the lady that's coming for the breast cancer treatment to go into the day surgery. So the woman arrives there in a surgical suite with five people all, you know, dressed up with surgical outfits, and then they bring in an anesthesiologist, they want to put her to sleep so they can do sentinel nodes, then they bring in an ultrasound tech to be there so that the surgeon can put a little Novocaine in and do this procedure, and, and that's running about $33,000. So I said, hey, you know, this is no good, and I said, well, you know, can you tell the woman in advance for her insurance what it's going to run her, and they said, well, none of the insurance companies will do a pre-authorization to tell the woman. So I said, well, that's not so great. It's sort of like going onto a car lot, say I like that little red Honda over there and nobody tells me what it is. And as I drive off the lot, they said, oh, that's $33,000, madam. You know, I mean, it's, it's not good. So I try to get these women to other places where they're doing it in an office setting, which they can do quite nicely with a surgeon or radiologist and maybe one of his staff to help, you know, hold things, whatnot. And the lady is wide awake, you know, they're in a small exam room and, and she can have it done there. So she, you don't really need five people in surgical garb to do this, but they're doing it that way. So they make more money or say, oh, we're doing breast cancer and we're doing it in the hospital, which, you know, sort of defeats the, the thing. So when I was doing the, um, the slides presenting in China, which was the early freeze protocol with the idea that if I could see something by thermography that is an early problem because with thermography, I can find things three to eight years before the mammograms will ever see it. So if I see something that's getting worse, blood flow leading to it, I keep sending them to other imaging because as a nurse practitioner, you know, my, my infrared is wonderful, but for all her, her um, joyous things that my camera can do, you know, I can't say X marks the spot cut here. So I have to send them off for mammograms and ultrasounds and biopsies and MRIs to see what's going on but frequently I'm seeing this years before they're ever gonna see it. So the early freeze protocol that we presented in China was if we could see something, if it could be done on ultrasound and you can actually see the mass or feel the mass, just freeze the darn thing. And then you could follow them over time uh, with other imaging. And if nothing comes back and there's no heat signature to it later, there's no blood flow, the blood flow has been eliminated altogether. You know, you've, you've cured this woman for something that was done in advance of it actually having to get big enough for other people to see. So the ultrasounds, you can only see up to about um, 
six millimeters by ultrasound and I can see things at less than three millimeters. And the mammograms have to be about three millimeters or over. So I can see things smaller, both than the mammogram or the ultrasound. So if it's something that is palpable and you can sort of see the thing, just freeze it. So to me, that was great. So the, the folks that we presented to in China, there were 200 researchers there and most of them were from socialized medicine countries. So um, the Asian countries all socialized medicine, Austria, uh, Australia, France, Germany, um, is Israel, I think we had the Mayo Clinic and um, uh, the Mount Sinai, I think, was there from the U.S. So there was only a couple groups from the U.S. that were there, but most of them were from socialized medicine. So the idea that you can do something in an office visit, you know, with a little bit of local anesthesia and the lady goes out to lunch, I mean, what could be better? I mean, groups of folks like China or Thailand, where they have huge populations and breast cancer is a problem everywhere. And if you can do it in a with local anesthesia in an office, I mean, it. No brainer. You know, the socialized medicine countries get it because they're trying to do things for their people and try to take as, take care of as many people as inexpensively as possible. And this to me is, is where they should be going. And uh, so one question, just uh, as far as insurance goes, you know, if you get a clinic that's uh, doing this procedure, will insurance cover it? Because a lot, most people that like $150,000 sounds like a lot of money, but your insurance pays for most of that. So it's, it's not much, you know, $7,000 might be a lot more to someone whose insurance covers 98% of that 150,000, you know? Well, I, I guess it sort of depends on whether or not the people have high sure, deductible sure. insurances or not. So, um, so there are some new codes that are coming out. And, um, but what the hope is, is that Medicare will embrace this because it, it makes perfect sense that, you know, if we could start calling the insurance companies and say, hey, guys, right now you're paying $55,000 to take care of the people with your particular insurance, Cigna, Aetna, Blue Cross, whatever it is. But you could do this with this code and only pay, you know, $7,000, $7,500, $8,000. Think of the money that you guys sure. are going to be, you know, saving. So I think the, the real uh, crux of this is to try to get to the insurance companies themselves, the people, the CEOs, people at the top of this, because they can just go ka-ching, ka-ching, because they're trying to save money for their insurance companies. And if you're paying out 55 grand you know, at the gate, um, wouldn't it be better to have something that even works better than what they're already doing? It makes to, sense, but know, it, it does seem them. like cancer as an overall thing is such a moneymaker mm -hmm. for insurance companies for the the establishment for just a big pharma i mean for the the whole system yeah. is so dependent on you know the the chemo and 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 how they how they do cancer treatment so so i think if anything yeah. that's a threat sometimes even if it costs saves them money in in over here overall so, and i'm not saying that that's the case here but that's just uh immediately where my head goes well also too like it sure. seems like there's up until now like they figured out a system to have like the pharmaceutical companies the medical establishment and the insurance they're all on board with each other it's all collusion like the money all kind of just flows yeah. amongst yeah. each other because if there was on the one hand the insurance companies trying to lower expenses while on the other hand the medical industries are trying to raise it there would be like conflict right but to me it just seems like it's just a well-oiled machine and then they're yeah. just they're just churning it out yeah. and so yes i think you're right maybe that's their achilles heel for this whole revamping of the entire medical <laughs> industry is to approach it from the insurance company side and, and i don't know or the woman or yeah. what the woman yeah. wants the woman would like to conserve her yeah. breast yeah I mean, I mean who wants to be hacked into 
you know, it, it's it's sort of a, a no-brainer. Oh. And, the, and the beauty about the, the cryo is, um, I'll see if I can do this little demo. So if this is the cancer and this is the body part, and it could be breasts, lungs, pancreas, it doesn't make any difference, you know, what this body part is. But the cancer is sitting in here essentially as a parasite. And it's sort of like cancers are us. And the, the body says, oh, you know, it's something in there, but we kind of recognize it as a parasite and it doesn't do anything about it. But once you've gotten a probe into that cancer and you've frozen it at 160 degrees below zero, you now have this dead cancer sitting in there and the body says foreign mm. invader, foreign invader, and it sends out cytokines and white cells everywhere in the body. So anywhere that the body is now going to find breast cancer cells, whether or not in satellite lesions, lymph nodes, other places, for this immune effect, it's going to wipe it out. And your immune system is much more clever than chemotherapy drugs. So this to me is what is really going to make the difference because if the women can get this immune effect and have it find and seek out other cancer cells, that's a lot. So, and that was kind of one of my questions that you just kind of answered. And just, so this is actually way better than, than the, the traditional uh, method for uh, fighting breast cancer because this stops it and it won't regrow and it'll actually attack other cancerous cells possibly. So um, it yeah. sounds like a wonderful... Immediately my mind goes with this though. Like I feel like, and I think we can all agree, that our medical system is so screwed up that it's 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 almost got a crash and to me like this is this is PMAs this is starting uh, like the the new one that's gonna the, the parallel society that yeah. we talk of you know like uh, uh, these doctors yeah. that aren't gonna take shots they're gonna go and they're gonna do these kind of procedures for people in their in their PMAs you know in their uh, private membership uh, associations and yeah. whatnot so I think that there's definitely I mean this is good information I I know a couple of women close to me uh, recently that I've watched go through the process of of the of fighting breast cancer through the, the how they do it in the system right now and it's just months and months and months of appointments and just it's it's hell it's yeah. hell and it's yeah. it, i just i mean i think we all agree you know that the system there is is uh is that well-oiled machine that's made to feed the system and it's so much money and it's it's so much trauma that, that these women are put through death care so. the death care system yeah. right man it's so and the other thing that I think is problematic is nobody really is talking about prevention. Yeah. And that's why, you know, my book of protect your breast, freeze and cure and reduce your risk of reoccurrence. You know, this to me is where we should be going to begin with. So um, I got invited. Well, I've been invited several times to the Willamette Cancer Center, you know, and um, somebody said, oh, well, would you like to come in and talk to about 40 breast cancers, you know, patients there? And I said, sure. So I went in and I arrived and I was going to talk a little bit about thermography and cryoablation and whatnot. And um, all they had all over the tables were candy, 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 wow. donuts, sugary wow. things. And cancer's favorite sugar. food is, is yeah. sugar. So they have all this stuff. And I started, you know, saying, well, what does your oncologist tell you about eating? You know, what sort of diets are you gals put on? And they looked at me kind of glazed and said, well, all he said was eat healthy, you know. So it, it's it's totally nuts. So um, so that's sort of the reason why I started the book. And I found out that um, there's sort of a profile for the women that have breast cancer. So every one of them is vitamin D wow. deficient. And that's really easy to fix. And um, same with COVID here deaths. in Oregon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it is yeah. the same. It's, it's all the same. So if the COVID deaths, if your um, 
vitamin D is below 55, you may get into trouble. Over 55, you're probably not going to end up in the hospital. So with breast cancer, and I, I called up the Oregon Medical Lab director, and I said, what's your situation here in Oregon? Because I'm from East Coast. I've been here 17 years now. And I've never seen such dreadful vitamin wow. D levels in my life. How does, how does one test? And he said, oh. oh sorry. I, I, well, I'm just going to ask real quickly. How does one test their vitamin D levels? Like, I don't even know. Oh, well, let's see. It's usually a blood okay, test. Okay, so something you got to go in and or, do. Yeah, yeah, in a lab. Yeah. You can, or um, you can get to ZRT Lab, and they do saliva oh, okay. and blood spot tests, and you just prickle your finger and put it on a little piece of cardboardy thing and cool. send it off to them. And there's a couple other places that'll um, do just blood spot sort of things, too. You can go into any lab test now, which is sort of a franchise and you don't need a, a doctor's order. You just walk in and say, I like the vitamin cool. D. So everybody here really should have this yeah. done because if, th you know, three quarters of the population of Eugene are below 32 on a 32 to 80 scale. And, you know, it's just gloomy yeah. here all the time. So, but socialized countries like Canada, they're telling everybody there that they have to be on at least five or 10,000 IUs of vitamin D mm -hmm. a day because they're socialized medicine, they're higher on the globe than where we are, and you're never gonna get enough vitamin D through your yeah. skin at this latitude, it just won't work. If you're in um, Atlanta, Georgia, and south of there, yes, but not here. So the vitamin D is, is really important for women with breast cancer. Um, every last one of them is hypothyroid, that's easy to fix. They're all estrogen dominant, so they either have, they're eating too much bovine growth hormone and meat and dairy, um, herbicides, pesticides. What I found out recently is marijuana. We put is, that on the list to talk um, about. Yeah. Estrogen. Yeah, it's an estrogen dominant herb. So hemp, flax, soy, black cohosh, donkey, red clover. So what I'm finding is that if people clean up their diet, get rid of their, you know, conventional meat and dairy, that's going to go a long way. Get some progesterone going some iodine, things that I have in the book that people can start. So I want to ask about, up, we, we've traditionally heard um, that marijuana can actually help kill cancer. Is there one, is there one way of a method of ingesting that's more deleterious than another, like smoking it versus eating it or, or is it all just the, the effects of the THC in general? I don't We're know. both not uh, pot yeah. smokers or anything. We're just yeah. asking, you know? Yeah. No, no, that is, no, it's a good question. So, um, so let's see. So I've had my infrared camera for 17 years here. So a lot of the women that I've seen, you know, I've seen for a decade or better. And um, like one lady, well, there's several of them, but one woman who is a massage therapist and she had a very strict organic diet wearing organic cotton. You know, she was doing all the right things. And I've seen her for mm -hmm. 12 years and she had beautiful, beautiful images. So then um, when marijuana here got legalized, um, she developed a painful knee. So she decided she was going to put some CBD oil on her knee. And now all her massage therapy clients uh, all wanted CBD oil massages. So she's doing four or five massages a day without any gloves on using CBD oil. And then she's smearing CBD oil on her knee. And she went from looking like gorgeous images, according to my infrared camera iris, to having, you know, dreadful looking images. And the only thing that usually does this is if she went on a spree and started eating at McDonald's sure. three times a week. But that wasn't, you know, everything else that she was doing was exactly the same except for the marijuana. So um, so then I've started a little clinical trial because I'm always mm -hmm. curious when things don't look the way that it seems. And so I started asking people, you know, if their diets had been as good as it had been, what are they doing different? So now I have sort of a collection of people that I'm seeing. So I don't think it makes any difference 
uh, how they're using it, whether or not it's CBD or THC. Um, hops is another estrogenic mm -hmm. herb, you know, the black coash, red clover, or dong quay. So, and those are herbs that women take for menopause, but then they seem to overdo it a little bit, or they're not using progesterone to balance it out, or they're also eating at McDonald's a couple times a week, or, you know, they're spraying herbicides and pesticides all over their, you know, house or backyard and things. So um, it, it's, it's sort of a complex thing, but if I can find out what they're doing in their environment, what they're doing with their diet, or maybe their hormone replacement is too heavy on estradiol, which is called E2, and that tends to estrogenize the breasts, whereas E3, um, estriol, the weaker one, doesn't. So it, sometimes it's just a matter of shifting their hormone replacement or showing the woman, you know, that maybe they've fallen off the wagon. And a lot of people during COVID yeah. have been comfort eating and eating all sorts of strange things. So, um, you know, so you just have to be gentle with yourself and bless yourself a little bit and what you're eating. But, you know, try to shift over to eat more organically. And that's going to make a huge difference for breast cancer survivors or immune support for people with COVID or anything else. For yeah. that I, mean, I think so many, so many of our health ailments come down to those simple things that, that uh, they are simple, but in the society we live in, it's can be difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, Absolutely. I mean, yeah. you go to the grocery store, most there's not the organic sections pretty small. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I'm always, I'm always arguing that that's, they're actually putting junk in the organic section. I think that's how they're getting us. That's how they're getting us. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, you got to yeah. know your farmer, dude. Like, right. Yeah, know your farmers yeah, is the right it. answer. Certainly. Certainly. Um, so, uh, we've talked about like other countries and I know like, so America's kind of like always been like the, 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 the thumb that sticks out like in, in all these areas, you know, we were like the ones with the worst health outcomes and like disproportionately high levels of like childhood mortality for like infants, you know, like birth birth and it's just yeah. like it shouldn't be that way it literally shouldn't it should be the opposite of that and so are you seeing this uh method cryoblasion being adopted more widely in other countries is this something that uh you know like like for example like in like i was saying in mexico like like in tijuana like you can go there and get all kinds of treatments that are mm -hmm. illegal here in the united states so are the other countries more widely adopting this method well the um the folks that were there at the conference in china a couple years ago you know, since they are socialized medicine, they are putting more clinics up various places because, you know, it it makes perfect sense to them. Treat as many people as possible as, in a, um, you know, as, as quickly and efficiently and with the least amount of money. I mean, liquid nitrogen, a little bit of Novocaine. I mean, where can you go wrong with that? So, um, so I think that it's going to shift. It's just going to be, you know, a matter of time, I think. But, you know, I'm trying to get, you know, information out on the book, which is also my website. And I send people autographed yeah. copies. Da, da, da. So um, so I can do that or people can contact me if they need a cryoablation, um, you know, visit with it. But I, I think that the, you know, the immune support for not only the breasts, but for, um, you know, the COVID folks. And I've been, um, let's see, was I able to talk a little bit about the immune support for COVID and what I've been seeing um, in the last couple of totally. years. Definitely. Oh, Can uh, I ask you one more question before we move into COVID, yeah, though? And I, got, and I got one more, too, okay, and then we're going to yeah, go steamroll okay. right into COVID. Okay, huh? yeah. I, yes. I, the, the one, one of the things, um, and we had a guest recently say this on our show, but uh, is is aluminum. What, what what role does aluminum play in, in cancer, breast cancer? Uh, do you know? I mean, I know that there's, uh, you know, a lot of the deodorants that people wear are full of aluminum. And, I mean, you, you live in Oregon with us. I mean, there's so many uh, chemtrails being sprayed 
in our skies that, that we, I mean, yeah. aluminum is something we're all coming in contact with mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Yeah, so I, I think that, you know, some of the, the toxic metals, what they were finding on autopsy or on biopsy, I should say, but without the ladies falling over exactly, but if they had been using a lot of aluminum deodorant um, and they're doing lymph node dissection in the axilla and the tail of the breast, they were finding aluminum actually in that tissue. So, you know, it does get absorbed. So I'm trying to get people not to use that. And I have actually a section in the book for environmental toxins and things that you can do to kind of clean up your environment. You know, don't microwave in plastics because your um, plastic moves into your food at 87 Mm. degrees. So people aren't really thinking about that as they throw their stews into Tupperware. So what I was trying to do is with this prevention book, try to get people to start thinking about what they can do to protect the, the women that are older, but also their daughters. So that they're not, you know, feeding them all this junk because the, the um, statistics for breast cancer has really gone up in the last few years. I'm 70. And um, when I was 12 or 13, all of us little little gals, you know, had, were flat chested with no bras between us. And now we're seeing, you know, eight year old girls with 36 D uh, brassiers and, you know, they're huge. And you're saying, well, this isn't the way eight year old girls yeah. should look. But a lot of it's, you know, what hmm. they're eating. So you really have to clean yeah, it up. Absolutely. Um, so the other question I had was, are there any contraindications for this type of treatment? Um, anything that would you would say, well, maybe let's go a different route? Oh, yeah. For the cryo? Or is it? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's see. So um, so that's why I'm, I've sort of created my nurse practitioner cryoablation navigator job because there, you know, there's a lot of confusion on what would be good or not a good case for things. So for the, the cryo, Usually, they like to do small cancers, the things that are less than 1.5 centimeters. Those are the, the nicer ones to deal with. But I, I'm working with a couple of doctors that will go up as big as about four centimeters. Wow. And those are uh, monster ones. And you might need several probes to come at it in different directions. So it is possible. But, you know, the bigger they are, you know, you hope that nothing bad is going to occur later on. The, the other thing is that... Um, some of the docs don't like to do a lot of the uh, lobular cancers, large lobular cancers, because those tend not to be, you know, they, they tend to sort of spread out and they're sneaky and they can't uh, be picked up very well on mammograms or ultrasounds because they don't leave little microcalcifications in the breast tissue for mammograms. So they don't always like those. Um, if the tumor is too close to the skin, if it's too close to the nipple, um, sometimes you can flood a little bit of um, uh, normal saline with a little IV needle just to puff the skin up a little bit. So you have just a little cushion of uh, water underneath the skin. So when you're freezing it down below, it freezes the water. And then when you put the hot packs on, it just sort of melts. But if you're, you have the probe too close to the surface or the lump is too close to the surface or too close to the nipple, you're going to have this freeze burn. And then you end up with people having to do uh, skin grafts, which isn't a good thing. So if it's too close to the nipple or really, you know, coming through the skin or too close to the skin or something like that, usually the regular surgical approach is better. So I try to, you know, help people get to care sooner and not just wait because there's a lot of women that are frightened and sometimes they don't go in to see their doctor for a very long time knowing that they have a lump or they just don't want to tell anybody about a lump. And those are the folks that I'm hoping that I can get a hold of a little earlier so that they're not just sitting there waiting and then it gets further and further along and that makes it, you know, 
more difficult Absolutely. for everybody. So right on. Well, a great way to segue into COVID. Um, and you, so you're in <laughs> clinical practice, and uh, you know you've had a lot of you have a, a lot of insights as to different elements of this agenda as it's going on. And so a good segue is, you know, we see a lot of these um, people who get the vaccine who are coming back with like false positives or positive cases of breast cancer, like following the vaccine. Like, what's been your experience seeing that? Okay. Well, let's see. Um, well, a couple of things. I got an interesting email a couple of months ago and it came out of the Mayo Clinic from the radiology department. So uh, what they were saying that, you know, kind of was spread around in the breast community was that the radiologists from the Mayo felt that uh, women should not go in for mammograms within eight weeks or maybe even 10 weeks of a recent jab or booster because what was happening is the lymph nodes are, you know, really mounding up in the breast tissue. When they do the mammograms, they're saying, oh my goodness, there's something here, but it's just this lymph node involvement in the breast tissue, because that's one of the places the spike protein likes to inhabit. Um, so they sent everybody around saying, hey, don't, don't do this. We're getting too many false positives on mammograms. So that part I'm seeing. The other thing that seems to be also ha happening is that the, um, the jabs from what I can see, and this is, you know, like listening to people or patients of mine who's talking about other folks here, and I'm, I've watched hundreds of hours of webinars um, on the subject, but it seems as though the jabs are, you know, sort of stirring up people that have been in remission with their yeah. cancers. It doesn't have to be breast cancer. It could be just about anything, but it seems as though their immune support and, you know, their T cells, which would have kept the, the cancer cells sort of at bay, are now being disturbed. So there's women that, you know, have had breast cancer years ago and they're five, eight, 10 years out. And they think that they're, you know, doing okay because they passed their five year mark. And then they get, you know, a jab and suddenly there's strange things happening and they're coming in for imaging or I'm seeing them and then I'm getting them off um, to <clears throat> see the surgeons or somebody else that can help them. Um, the other day I called up uh, the plastic guys here, well, the plastic surgeons, I should say. Um, and I had a woman that had a, um, an implant that had sort of uh, gotten sort of, well, it's, it, they become sort of hard and encapsulated. And this woman wanted to get another implant and she wanted me to help get her in as soon as possible to the um, plastic surgeons. So I called them up and they, they practice together. They have two of them in one office. And I was told by the office manager that um, this lady with the, um, the implants really needed to go see the regular general surgeons because they have no time to help with any implants because they said that all these breast cancer patients are coming in and these guys are trying to do uh, breast revisions and mastectomies with other implants for people with fresh breast cancers. They didn't want to deal with the people with a, you know, an implant that wasn't quite mm. right. They, they thought that they really were overbooked for all the cancer patients that they're seeing. So I didn't get sort of statistics from that nice lady. I suppose I should call her back and find out how far backed up they are versus where they used to be. But it sounded like it was kind of a crisis mode for the plastic guys because now they have these over, you know, overflowing cases for breast cancers that they're trying to fix. I, I wish there were so, some some studies to show because I, I I remember one of the doctors on the high wire, uh, you know, a couple months back as well, pointing out that there's all these uh, very rare types of cancers that are coming out that people haven't have, mm -hmm. that, yeah. 
they don't see very often that we're starting to see again. But the reality is, is the CDC and the FDA, like no one's recording this so we can get some actual data to, to you know, it's all anecdotal from what we're hearing and, we're, and no one's tracking the data so we can actually point out like, look at, this is what this shot is doing. But I mean, I think all of us that are seeing this, the anecdotal stories and seeing with our eyes and using our own brains are saying, wow, there's something going on here. And I also wanted to point one other thing out though. You said the, you know, the, um, the eight to 10 weeks that they're not supposed to go get that mammogram. I mean, these shots at this point are showing about 10 weeks is about all that they, all the immunity you get out of them. So, so when are you ever yeah. going to get your mammogram at that point then? Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's the other, other problem that during this whole COVID shut down, you know, a lot of people that maybe had a problem or maybe they had issues with, you know, their heart or some respiratory thing, well, the respiratory things, they probably showed up, but a lot of people just stayed out of the hospital because they were scared and they didn't want to go in and they thought everything was really germy. So they all stayed home. So I think some of those people had breast cancer problems and other sorts of problems that they just have been sitting on for sure. two years and they maybe would have gone in before, but then here, some of our radiology centers had closed down and said, hey, we're, we're, we're not seeing, you know, we're doing emergency stuff for radiology, but the regular mammograms or the regular ultrasounds, we're, we're kind of not doing that. But if you have, you know, an acute abdomen, we'll see those folks, but, you know, a lot of people were pushed off and backed up and, you know, it's sort of what happened. So there's, I think, more cases that people sat on that they shouldn't have, but, you know, sometimes you couldn't even get in to see your doctor. So, you know, I'm not trying to just point fingers at the, the, uh, the hospital people, but it, it was, it had a trickle down. Yeah, it's just more casualties and, um, of the way of not the, the virus, but how we handled things, the lockdowns, the, you yeah. know, uh, how our governments mm -hmm, mm -hmm. ran this. Yeah. So I, I think the the main thing, and I think I've been watching a lot of uh, Dr. Peter McCullough's yes. Things is he felt that you know 85% of all the COVID deaths were due to not treating the people early or just yeah, malfeasance. 100%. You know, it was just people just totally mishandled them. So um, it's it's been sort of interesting. I'm, I'm besides being sort of the underground railroad here, I've been on um, a lot of Zoom calls with about 300 of the um, staff at the Riverbend Hospital. There were about 300 of them, ICU nurses and other people that were told that they had to get this back mm -hmm. or, you know, Oh yeah. We were out, we were out front so, with our bullhorns. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's just awful. So I've been on, you know, quite a few of these uh, zoom calls and what was interesting, you know, with all these ICU nurses, cause they obviously know what's going on in the hospital. I have a little clinical practice, so I don't go in the hospital, but um, what they were saying, which I thought was interesting is the ICU nurses were saying that 65% of all the people in the ICUs with COVID were fully vaccinated people fully vaccinated. But the hospital at Riverbend had ordered these ICU nurses to not put their vaccination status in the chart. Yeah. Ordered not to. So when they're doing the statistics, if nothing was written in the chart, the hospital said, oh, these must be all unvaxxed. And the women that are on the Zoom call are yelling, no, 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 they're lying, they're lying. They were fully vaxxed. It's just we were told not to put them in, which, you know, is a bit outrageous. And then, um, then they said the other people that were filling up the hospital over there were people with vaccine accidents or yeah. injuries. And those were really overflowing. And again, the hospital told these ICU nurses and the staff not to put their vaccine mm -hmm. status in and do not report them to VAERS. They were actively, they were actively, actively told not to give or not to report to VAERS? 
Wow. Yeah, they were told not to report it to bears. I mean, they should be so, sued I mean, for that. They they should, that, they that should, should go to court. Oh, yeah. That should. That's some Nuremberg shit. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the thing is, that's you know, it's sort of like, but they're they were sort of this is all before they sort of did get fired, yeah. or you know, they were still trying to work on things. So this is during that time Oof. that I was chatting with them, and then one of the guys on the Zoom call worked in the lab, and I, you know, so I asked him, you know what's going on with the PCR tests over there? And he says, oh, he says, it's very interesting. He said, you know, it depends on, we're sort of told to run it at different cycles, depending if the people were vaxxed or unvaxxed. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, he said, um, if they're unvaxxed, we were doing it at 45 to 62 Jeez, that's cycles, higher than I've ever heard. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. uh, so that they, is they a false said, positive, 100% for sure. Oh, yeah. It has to be. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent false positives for this. And he said, then if it was a vax person, they were supposed to run it at a lower cycle. So it didn't seem as though the vax people were positive for COVID, but all these other people had false positives that they're saying, oh my God, close this down, close this down. So I mean, it was just, just amazing. So um, you know, I have this little office that have big windows here, and I'm right next to urgent care here in Eugene, and. When this whole thing started, and I'm on, you know, six different emails of MedPage today and, you know, what the doctors are saying and, you know, Western medicine, because I, I read these just to see what's going on, you know, in the Western medicine world, even though I'm a holistic nurse practitioner. So I'm, I'm sitting here looking out my windows and I can see the front entrance to urgent care with the people walking in during the early part of COVID. And when it first, you know, started, you know, I'm, hold, you know, holding on every word of, Anthony Fauci and you know this is going on and this is going on and I'm believing all this stuff but then I'm sitting here in my office looking out through my big windows at urgent care and their parking lot and there's nobody out there so I used to work in a large HMO in, in Massachusetts before I came here and in a bad flu season in urgent care we'd have you know 25 30 people you know in a shift coming into our urgent care and we were just flooded with people but I'm looking out the window and there's nobody coming in so then I thought, well, this will be interesting. So this, I think I sent you guys too, but I, I went on the Oregon Health mm -hmm. Authority um, website and I wanted to find out natural deaths. So I wanted to find out, and this was at the end of 2020. So I wanted to go into the statistics and find out who died of old age, influenza and COVID now at the end of 2020. And then heart attacks, diabetes, you know, things, strokes, things that people fall over from. So I went back from the end of 2020 with all the data that they had on the Oregon Health Authority. And I went back to the end of 2015. And lo and behold, there were fewer natural deaths at the end of 2020 in the state of Oregon than there were in 2019 or 2017. And most of the years were only up and down by about 178 people. So if people were dying by the droves here, which I was being told, and then I realized that that's not really the case, and I'm not seeing anybody walking in and out at the, emer the emergency section. And I thought, you know, this is this is what I think I sort of opened my eyes to start thinking that, you know, what we're being told on the news isn't the real news. Well, and that's one of the so, things that I just I think people just don't understand. And it's good for you to go look at those numbers because because the news is just going to give you a number that's made to to push fear, mm -hmm. right? Like, I mean, yeah. even by their numbers in Oregon, I think we have somewhere around 5,000 deaths that have been attributed to COVID, right? And that's over almost two years at this point. So you have to put that in context of like, well, how many people die a year, right? How many people die a year in your state? How many people die from these other things? And, and did we 
is the the level of heart attacks down? Is like it, did things get miscalculated? I mean, as Doctor uh, yeah. Scott Jensen, um, you know, he's his thing was is that when when this happened, they told all these doctors to in, it, whether or not they died from a heart attack or anything else that if if they had COVID, you put that on top no matter what, and they were never been told to do that before. So so it is. Yeah. It, things have to be miscalculated by just by just the CDC directives, just how they did it. Yeah, well, that's why that's why I was interested to go back into this natural deaths thing. So it took out all the suicides, homicides, unintentional deaths, so that I could, you know. And I, I sent you guys, you know, how I mm-hmm. went back down through so people and check my math. I'm always great, you know, grateful for people checking my math. But you know, at the end of it, you would have had all the deaths of influenza going back, you know, to 2015. And now the only new thing was the COVID in town for 2020, but you know it was fewer for the whole year here in Oregon and also in Lane County. But the suicides, I think, were up to 738 or something, and there were a whole bunch more homicides. You know, the, those things mm-hmm. spiked because of you know what was going on, and probably some of the folks that maybe had you know heart disease or something, and they just didn't get into the doctor. So some of these people fell over from you know natural causes, but I think the main thing is it's not a matter of people dying from COVID; it's people dying yes. with COVID. And then, so then, but then you say, well, the PCR tests are all kind of messed up. So if I were riding a motorcycle that I don't have and run it into a tree, and I have a lot of you know uh, bodily uh, problems, I'm dragged into the emergency room and I die from my you know motorcycle accident but somebody does a little nasal swab on the way to the morgue and says, oh my goodness, she's positive for COVID. I apparently died of COVID. And then, you know, that $3,500 extra money goes to the hospital for my COVID death, even though I really died in my motorcycle accident, even though I don't have a Mm. motorcycle. So, but you know, this is the sort of stuff that went on. So I think uh, what I've come away with from this last two years is what we really need to be doing is helping with immune support so that people in the communities can start getting their, quercetin and zinc and vitamin D and, you know, NAC yep. and L-glutathione and the things that I have now in my protocol. And the protocol, um, I have a new one that's I'm just updating now for 2022 so that people can, you know, get a hold of me through contact at Proactive Breast Wellness, which I get mm-hmm. to put on the, the bottom there for people to do that. So um, I'm trying to get a new tab on my Protect Your Breast website. Um, and I, <laughs> We had a little trouble with my webmaster today, but anyway, so he's trying to get a new tab on the supplement section. So there'll be immune support and then the, the breast supplement. So we can have two things, one for breasts and the other one for immune support for people. And I've been collecting a lot of the, um, the COVID protocols by Zelenko yes. and yes. the FLCCC and my protocol and other people's protocols and a homeopathic protocol. So I'm, I'm collected all these protocols, which I'm going to have on my website. So if people want to, you know, get a hold of me, and then I can send people emails saying, "Hey, it's all up and running." Since we had a little website emergency, which you know isn't much fun mm-hmm. to have right before I come on to yeah. see you guys, but um, so that way, you know, we can do that. So I'm I'm also involved now with the uh, the Paul Revere Riders, I guess I've been calling them. But um, there's a, a group of some of these ICU nurses that are making house visits. So um, they're going out with oxygen concentrators, nebulizers, the O2 saturation things, goodie bags with the quercetin and zinc and vitamin D and C and things that people can have, you know, aspirin, things that people should have in their medicine cabinets anyway. And that's what I was trying to get people to get. And, you know, a lot of the things I have on my 
website for a 20% off to the Emerson Wellivate thing. So everybody can, you know, get a lot of the other uh, supplements and have it available to them. So these ICU nurses then make house visits and then I'm helping them with um, some of the labs to get the D-dimer and the ferritin levels and see what's going on or writing for chest x-rays or whatever happens to happen or doxycycline if they get secondary infection. So um, I'm sort of trying to help as the backup uh, nurse practitioner for you know, the, the gals in the field. So I'm 70 and I'm unvaxxed and I haven't had COVID, so I'm not allowed to go out wow. and make house calls. No, so um, I'll just stay home and try to do stuff from my spider web of, you know, helping helping get people there. But I think the, the immune support to me is where we really should be because if everybody has, you know, taking maybe 1,000 of vitamin D, that's never going to cut it, not, not this place. Um, so if we can have prevention for not only COVID, but you know, breast cancer, and a lot of them are similar, you know, the vitamin D and whatnot. So. Yeah, I mean, we had Dr. Peter McCullough on here as well, and I just think, um, huh. you know, the, the protocols and the ones that you speak of, Zelenko's, and, and a lot of these different protocols, like, and just the, the preventative measures you can take, I mean, this is, this does not have to be a deadly disease for hardly anyone, really. I mean, unless unless you're already on death's door, like this, if you are taking care of your body with your vitamin D levels, and he talked a lot about the nebulizing iodine and, and some different things you can yeah. do to just, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have links now or will have links hopefully in a couple of days so that, you know, they can figure out how much um, <clears throat> hydrogen peroxide, but it's usually like the over-the-counter stuff if you get, if you can get the, the variety that's just hydrogen peroxide with water without strange yeah. chemicals in there that you can't read. But um, the 3%, it's usually uh, two parts hydrogen peroxide and one part water. And I found that at Bimart, they have cute little um, nasal mist saline bottles or cute little things. Uh, it's the only, I, I went around town and I bought six of these darn things. And the one from Bimart, you can actually unscrew the lid. All the rest of them are fused on. So you can't sure. get the stupid thing off. So you get this nice little thing that'll make a mist, not a squirt. And you un, you know undo it, throw out the, the saline, which is like three bucks in this cute little bottle. And then you can put the um, hydrogen peroxide and the water in there. And then you um, put your head over the sink, have the bottle going upright, put your mouth over it with your mouth open. Breathe in really deeply as you sort of squirt this in. So if you don't have sure. a nebulizer for forty bucks, you know that you could do that, or just use it with gargling with you know diluted. So a lot of the people using the hydrogen peroxide and some of these other things, you know, they're they're going to do quite nicely at home. Uh, the L-glutathione is what. Um, well, let's see. Let me step back. So NAC, yep. Yep. NAC, and acetylcysteine. Um, if you take that, it helps your body make L-glutathione. The reason why the kids aren't getting sick so much is that little kids make a lot of L-glutathione, but when you hit about 44, 45 years old, you just don't make as much of the L-glutathione and it drops and not anybody's taking neck. So, am. you know, that would be easy. <laughs> yeah. So, so my, so, you know, so there's other things and on the protocol, I have other things in there like um, L-lysine, which people have used for herpes, cold sores around their mouth for years. They were using this down in, um, I think it was Columbia that all they had was L-lysine and the whole staff in the hospital and people that were giving it to, you know, it's just amino acid that were doing quite well. But I think the idea of the zinc ionophores with the zinc and the quercetin yeah. or the zinc and the ivermectin, yeah. uh, zinc and the hydroxychloroquine. But the other things that I found was interesting is um, something called Therazyme, which I have on my website here too which is a uh, protolytic enzyme, and that seems to work as a zinc ionophore okay. also, so you don't have to have prescription. 
Um, and then the other thing that I thought was fascinating is uh, using uh, nigella satphia seeds, which is called black seeds. It's not the black sesame seeds, but it's this uh, nigella seeds. And they can get that from um, Mountain Rose Herbs. I bought a couple pounds of it recently. But that, that seems to work very well as an antiviral. And I have another protocol now that I found that is for helping to detox the people with spike mm. proteins a bit. Oh, great. So, so that's, you know, so whether or not you're vaxxed or unvaxxed, but, you know, a lot of people, we can't really say you're going to totally be detoxed because we don't know really yet, you know, how long this is going to take, you know, how many people are going to end up with a lot of really nasty autoimmune yeah, problems. Yeah. So the people that even are vaxxed, you know, the vitamin C and the quercetin and the zinc. So hopefully that will help them so they're not getting their breakthrough cases because you only have protection from these jabs and the, the um, boosters for, you know, not that long. And in the end, it doesn't protect you from getting COVID or from spreading COVID. So why exactly are we doing this? So then all these people that were vaxxed, now they're going to have these breakthrough and other sorts of strange things and ending up in the hospital like the ICU nurses were saying. Yes. So. Um, people, I think, have to start trying to do the best they can and uh, prove their diet, their immune support, because I think in the end, that's all that we're going to have, you know, going forward. And, so, and that's the good thing that's happening is there is a, a big awakening happening yeah. of people taking care of themselves and learning what they need to do to take care of their bodies. Because because uh, even COVID doesn't need to be a threat. But uh, I mean, even if you're scared of COVID, I mean, there's a, a tons and tons of other viruses and things around you like the it really does come down <laughs> back to that uh you know germ theory versus terrain theory like uh, you got to take care of your terrain and, and we live in a toxic yeah. world so mm -hmm. absolutely yeah so trying to clean that up and you know the, the 5g i think might be another interesting mm -hmm. comment but i think that that may be sort of a problem too so i try to have no no wi-fi loose in my house you know my cell phone is several rooms away when I'm sleeping, I put it to, you know, um, airplane mode. So, and I have a, a flip phone, wow. very exciting. Flip nice. phone. So that has, you know, less uh, coming at me than, you know, yeah. some of the smartphones and things. So I think, you know, if people can clean that up, their diet, eat organically, and um, some of the things that I'll have on this protocol. So, you know, some of your viewers can uh, <laughs> hopefully get there in a couple of days when my webmaster has been able to fix Perfect. it. So it was kind of a little little crisis this morning at 8 30 <laughs> when they said oh i think this this thing is broken and we can't get it ready in time so we will have the 2022 version Wonderful. of all Beautiful. these well this will come out yeah. i think january 2nd on sunday so yeah it'll be perfect um okay. well we hope hopefully, yes no yeah hopefully yeah if it all doesn't just come <laughs> crashing down and, and do oblivion tomorrow night like like when the when the strikes midnight everything just poof yeah no i wouldn't be surprised yeah. but anyway um so I want to hear more about, uh, you kind of hinted towards it, uh, in the beginning, but you're, you're, you've got a lawsuit against our best friend, Kate Brown. Is that what's going on? <laughs> oh, Katie. Yeah. Well, Katie. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the, uh, the underground. Well, hold, hold, so let, there's let a very back, delightful. Back it up here. So, so we, yeah. we've got a lot of, uh, listeners all over the world, all over the country, you know, and, and, you know, in the media and, and all these places, like all these governors, like these blue state governors get blasted, you know, of course, you know, you've got your Andrew Cuomo's, you got your Gavin Newsom's, you know, what's the, uh, Whitmer, like all these people get blasted oh, so Inslee. hard, Inslee, but you never hear about Kate Brown. And to me, and that, maybe I have a little she bit She is the least popular governor in yeah, the country. There was that one poll that one time that said that <laughs> at the same time, I feel like, like 
I don't think like nothing exemplifies the 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 awfulness of this whole thing more than Kate Brown. Kate Brown is the worst thing ever, and I may be a little biased because I live in Oregon, maybe just a little bit, but I don't think that that's the case. I think that we just need to we just need to let everybody know in the whole world. Forget about Gavin Newsom. Forget about Andrew Cuomo. Kate Brown you should be focusing all of your outrage and all of your venom towards Kate Brown. As bad as I hear about like California <laughs> is, I like they're not wearing masks like Dude, us over Kate there. Kate Brown they're is not. the worst. You guys, you guys wake up. Everybody wake up. This is your red pill for the day. Go look to Kate Brown, all her China connections. She's the worst of the worst of the worst. And just her snidely little face, man. Okay, I just had to get it off my chest. So you're taking legal action. I can't wait to hear about this. Well, well, this this has been sort of fun. So, um, you know, when this whole thing sort of started, I, I have to admit that I've been a very nice, quiet, democratic Buddhist for 40 years. And I voted for Kate and all of those nice people, including Biden. So, you know, I've been voting Democrat for 40 years. I want to tell you that I've just recently gone down and I'm now a card carrying Republican. There you go. I am going up at the um, along came Trudy Trumper bar and, you know, hanging out Big with Big shout them. out to along came Trudy. And now Big I'm. Shout. Yes, uh, exactly. And they, they have um, Breathe, uh, the Breathe, 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 County. Breathe Free Oregon oh, yeah. group also, plus all these nice nurses that are sort of trying to work together with them. And then I'm also hanging out with Mormons because they're all prepping. So, you know, so from going from, you know, what I was doing, I'm now getting really wild and zany. So there's a, a fellow attorney, uh, Stephen Jonquist, J-O-N-C-U-S. And um, he had a group of people and a couple of them are doctors that I know that was trying to um, deal with the governor the first time around with um, the vax mandates. But um, unfortunately, he had a a justice who he was having this case, you know, listened in front of, and the justice apparently had had a sign outside his courtroom saying only vax people can enter. So obviously the, the justice was a little bit biased maybe. So um, Jonquist is now back at the drawing board and he's working right now to see what else he can come up with, which might be related to vaccine accidents and the statistics and the, the background behind that. Um, the other thing I've been watching closely is um, Dr. David Martin with his wonderful information on how you can approach attorney generals, but I'm told that the attorney general in Oregon is sort of in lockstep with the governor, so we're not getting anywhere with that. So we have a you know heavily democratic group, which I used to vote for, um, but now I'm awakened. Um, so that's happening. And then I've been helping out a little bit with um, attorney Ray Hackey, H-A-C-K-K, uh, H-A-C-K-E, I think. And he's part of Pacific Justice Institute. So his group is, is really wonderful. It's a nonprofit and they have a number of attorneys for Pacific Justice Institute that, um, and, and it's by donation, uh, the attorneys that work for them. Um, are on salary, so they don't actually have to make money to do what they do. So if people want to um, help donate to Pacific Justice, he helps people. So he's taken on the um, the Springfield Teachers mm. Union, I think, recently for people. Um, I think that he's been involved in the um, Avante um, Medical Group down in Medford for people, the medical staff that were being vaxxed. And I think he was leading the charge on um, some folks up at Legacy for other people there. 
so um, I helped to try to connect him with the nurses here at Riverbend, and I think that he's helping them out a little bit. And then the, um, I, I think, I'm trying to remember the name of it. There's 325 people um, at the Psychiatric Center Mental Institute. I'm afraid I'm from Oregon, so I don't know that the official name of the people up there in Salem or something, but there's a bunch of folks up there that were unhappy with what's going on. So Pacific Justice Institute is trying to do larger class actions and groups. So, and then of course, uh, Children's Health yes. Defense, which is fabulous. And um, Catherine Green, who is part of the Oregon chapter. So I try to send little bits of pieces. And if I find some very interesting medical bits, I send to all these folks so that they can, you know, have more things in their medical <laughs> um departments for you know a little bit more ammunition but I'm, I'm hoping that he's Jonquist is going to be successful with this latest thing but he's still actively working on it so wow that's amazing and I don't know exactly when he's moving that forward but I think he's right now just looking for any medical articles that are related to uh, vaccine accidents or things that might be an issue so he had one of the articles that um, actually Dr. Christiana Northrup mm -hmm. Um, I mentioned in one of her webinars, uh, she actually offered me a job wow. several years ago. I was in a three, three week program at Harvard Medical School, at the Mind Body Medical Institute. And she and I used to have lunch together. That was sort of a long story way back then. You anyway, she um, did a webinar. You got to hook us up. I've emailed her a couple times. Kevin <laughs> Jenkins gave us I her know. email. I've yeah, emailed her yeah. too. Yeah, we're working on it. <laughs> yeah, we're working on it. So, um, but I think it was the American Journal of Medicine. This was probably two months ago or so. And they were looking at. Um, uh, pregnant women in the first and second trimester that got uh, vaccinated and or I should say jabbed. Mm -hmm. um, and I think 82% yep. yep. of them had yep. miscarriages yep. in the first and second trimester. But then they messed around a little bit with the um, statistics because the other pregnant women in the third trimester, they technically don't miscarry because they're too far along. They deliver babies, but they don't spontaneously mm -hmm. abort mm -hmm. any babies. So, um, so they apparently were messing around with the statistics for them, but I think that there were, and I, I'm trying to remember the number of the people, but it was something like, it was a small study, like 260, 285 people or something. I'll have to go back. Yeah, to that, I remember but, when, that, yeah. when that study came out because they, they were trying to prove their point that, look, look, no one has miscarriages, but it, like all kinds of sources were just uncovering that, yeah, the mm -hmm. first and second trimesters, it was 82%. I, I remember exactly oh, yeah. when that yeah, happened. 82% of the people. And I think they had six or eight stillborns in this, you know, third trimester group, which, you know, doesn't work well. Or what seems to be happening is, um, and again, messing with the statistics, if you have a, a baby that's stillborn, that means dead on arrival. But they weren't taking into account the babies that died within three days that, you know, should have been okay, but didn't make it because they weren't stillborn yeah. Yeah. because they were live wow. births. So then they messed around with that a little bit. And then apparently there's also a lot of infants that have damage and they don't seem to be taking that into account. And I don't know if they're following that on theirs, not probably. Well, this, not. this feels, I, so, I think we're all, uh, you, I think you finished, but I'm reading RFK's uh, yep. new book on Anthony Fauci. It sounds like it's like right out of his playbooks. So yep. <laughs> it's just hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. 
you know, I'll, I'll take this opportunity as always to say, uh, you know, uh, my former employer who I was no, no longer work for over the VAX mandate, they also, Willamette Family Treatment Services in Eugene, Oregon, Drug and Alcohol Treatment Center, was denying care for inpatient treatment uh, residents based on their vaccines or their shot status, right? So they were basically turning people away that were seeking inpatient drug and alcohol services because they were unvaccinated. I will always keep saying that because that's the dirtiest, filthiest thing I could imagine. Uh, people that it's apartheid. People it's that are desperate for help. You know what I mean? Like people that are just in the worst point of their entire lives and they're being denied treatment. That's nothing more abominable than that. And actually, Oregon Health Authority had to step in and tell them to stop doing that. Even the tyrannical, insane clowns at Oregon <laughs> Health Authority told them that that's going too far. So just anybody that's seeking treatment services in Oregon, like try to avoid that place because it's a really, really awful place. <laughs> Serenity Lane, go to Serenity Lane. There you go. So, yeah, no, it's 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 difficult, and you know, with all the the lockdowns or people losing yeah. their jobs, and then they're turning to drinking yeah, and drugs, yeah. or you know, I mean, it, it's this tumble down thing, and the little kids that are, you know, probably never gonna. Well, I shouldn't say never, but I think they've had three hundred COVID deaths in children in two years or something. So that you know, the children um, don't need these vaxes. Um, you know, I mean, it just makes me cry when they're trying to get more of the kids now uh, injected with this stuff. And um, it's really, really not so good. Now, oh, one of the other things that I, I heard, which I thought was interesting on the, on the radio now, they're talking about how you can call in to some, you know, certain um, thing to get your erectile dysfunction medicine. Oh. And I thought, well, this is interesting. Why are we hearing so many ads on erectile dysfunction yes. medicine? Well, I think the issue is that the people that got the jabs and they have these microclots, and the um, the spike proteins are going, and and this is you know I'm I, I think that I heard this on one of the webinars, so I don't have the um, the article. But if you have little microclots various places, then maybe people are having a little trouble with mm. erectile dysfunction. So now you can get all your erectile dysfunction meds because you've gotten the jab, and now you can't perform in the bedroom. Now you would think that guys would have thought, wow, you know, this is probably a good reason not to do this. <laughs> But, but I don't know if they have you know, a booster. Maybe, maybe we need to start to like laying down that argument right there. You guys, you guys, come on now. Like, yeah. like okay. So how about this though? Here's, here's the, taking it to a conspiratorial level. What was Pfizer's flagship product? Everybody come on. Anybody, anybody. Right? I, I know what it, I can't okay. think of the name. Viagra, 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 Viagra. Yeah, Viagra. Okay. So this is, this is a big, and plus yeah. they just all their, uh, heart inflammation medication too. So Pfizer's just jabbing you on this side and then, Oh, here's a pill for all these. Uh, yeah, have the little blue pill. Yeah, yeah. Gosh. All right. Wow. Well, Ingrid, man, this has been a very, very awesome conversation. Um, Definitely. I, we're going to put all the links to everything in the show notes uh, that people go check and reference. But is there anything, any parting words? And please just go ahead and plug all of your stuff and tell people where to find more and learn more. And uh, if they have any questions, how to get in touch with you. Okay. Well, that's lovely. Well, do go to my website. What is your website? So, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. It's protectyourbreasts.com. And um, we have autograph copies, which is nice because I find that Amazon is very greedy and hardly pays yeah. any of the authors. Yeah. So I'm always delighted to be able to send off autograph copies. And, um, and that would be Protect Your Breasts. And then uh, contact at Proactive Breast Wellness for anybody that has breast cancer that would like to see if they might be uh, eligible for cryoablation. And then um, also, if you're interested in getting our up and up and redone protocols for the immune support, since my 
Webb doesn't have the right immune support tab today, um, you can also contact me at contact at Proactive Breast Wellness, and I'll try to send everybody an email saying, hey, you can come here now and click on all these protocols, get 20% off any of the supplements that they want through the Emerson Wellivate site. So anybody that has um, supplements they're getting from their natural path or someplace else that they've marked it up, Emerson and Wellivate is where the natural paths and the MDs shop. So you can get to my website and then you can wander through and get anything you want from the Emerson uh, Wellivate thing. So there's like 4,000 um, manufacturers over there that have various goodies. So I'm more interested in having people have high quality stuff instead of things from China yeah. with, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> cornstarch mm -hmm. in it that's GMO or something. So, awesome. so I, I think the main thing is, you know, keep your immune system up. You are what you mm -hmm. eat. Prevention is the cure. And I'm, I'm just delight fit, delighted that I was able to be on um, the show with you guys. And um, you're doing wonderful things. And I will just hang out with the Underground Railroad and yes. the Paul Revere writers to keep people out of the hospital. And oh, yes, and do not ever get remdesivir no. because it, yeah. remdesivir, um, and I think they said if you get to um, Dr. Brian Ardis's A-R-D-I-S's mm -hmm. yeah. site, which I just heard that you, there's some legal documents yep, there on Artis's site that um, you can download and get some um, um, essentially uh, forms that you can have for yourself or your loved ones that says, you know, thou shalt not put me on a ventilator and thou shalt not give me remdesivir because apparently I think they said that 54% of the people on remdesivir uh, die within three to 28 days. Now, 54% of people on remdesivir, it seems like a lot of people to fall over because it essentially does in your kidneys and then the, the fluid backs up and that's what's you know getting into people's lungs is the fluid backing up because your kidneys don't work. So it crashes your kidneys and then you start filling up with fluid in your abdominal cavity, your lung and you drown to death. So again, Fauci playbook, Fauci yeah. playbook. It's, it's just, we've seen this before. Yeah. We've been seeing it for almost 50 years. Yep. So that's why, you know, I'm excited about the uh, ICU nurses showing up with oxygen concentrators and things like that. And we need some other oxygen concentrators, by the way. I just bought one for 1,500 bucks. And um, so they can take it around or we're now renting it too, but, you know, nebulizers and things. So that people, if they do need an IV, if they do need something, these nice ICU nurses sort of show up and help. They're sort of in the Eugene area. But, you know, to me, this is, you know, kind of grassroots action at its best. So if we can keep people out of the hospital, and particularly if you guys would start getting the vitamin D and the corset and the zinc and the things in advance and get this stuff before you get mm -hmm. sick, please, please, please. So I don't get these frantic phone calls. I've forwarded three of them today of, oh, I'm sick. What do I do? And, you know, if they had gotten all this stuff and been taking it, they probably wouldn't be ill or wouldn't be as ill. So um, prevention. prevention. Right on. Well, Ingrid, thank you so thank much. You so much. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, let us know if there's anything else in the future we can do to help support the cause. And we will catch up again. We'll check Maybe, in maybe we'll see road. at Trudy's thank one of these Yeah, we'll see at too. Trudy's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Ingrid. Yeah. And I'll, with my tricolored yes, hat. Yes, 100%. <laughs> all right, Ingrid. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, thanks Ingrid. Bye-bye. We need as many breasts as we can hold on to. Damn it, folks. <laughs> it's not a laughing matter, Scott. I know. This is I know, serious. I know. I know. Okay, but yeah, okay. that that was 
She's wonderful. Yeah, that was I, awesome. I, I really enjoyed everything she had to say. And it is, awesome. and I think that this is something that, um, besides COVID, I think this is something that touches everyone. Everyone knows someone who has had breast cancer. Breast cancer is, is, uh, all over the place. Yeah. And, um, again, what we're always trying to do is find treatments that aren't, uh, th- they're not the big pharma's route of just draining our pocketbooks and making yeah. us more sick. Yeah. Right. Like that's yeah, totally, uh, I'm thinking I, what I got out of that is that I want to go join the Mormon church. <laughs> I want to go, I want to go learn preparedness. I want to get like three wives. Oh, Scott, it's not like that. It's not like that. You can't have like, you don't, you know that that sister wives show that was all staged. Oh, he wasn't, it wasn't okay. real. Okay. Okay. I'm just joking, guys. Come on, Alan. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. Um, but yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. It's great um, conversation, certainly. Heck yeah, and, and good on her for, for fighting the fight and being out there in the trenches and, and speaking out. So good job. All right. Anything else? I just think it's time to wish everyone. Oh, yeah. We wish all of you guys intellectual, intellectual prosperity. prosperity. Good night. Pew, 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 pew. Pew, pew, pew. Ding, ding. ding.